Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatlin, and this week's guest is Jabba Chamberlain, former All-Big 12 pitcher at Nebraska and 10-year veteran of the major leagues. We talked about his humble childhood in Lincoln, pitching in the College World Series, his extraordinary rise to the Yankees' bullpen, A-Rod, Jeter, the Jabba rules, and what he's learning in retirement. We had a roof over our head that sometimes leaked, sometimes didn't. When it rained, I'd have to empty a pail out of the, uh, out of the closet. But, you know, you just make it work with what you got. Literally, he would just go, he just go compete your balls off for me. That's all I can ask. That's what Rob would say? Yeah, that's all he, that's all he would say. <laughs> like, he goes, I don't care what it looks like. You go out and compete for me. Something good's going to happen. It was game six of the World Series. It was a 2-2 count in 2009. And I step off the mountain and start laughing. People talk about, did you ever feel pressure? I'm like, no. What? Pressure? Really? Like, I get paid to play a game. Pressure is when you get home and you can't pay your bills and your lights are off. This is where I come from. When's the last time somebody asked you about the midges? Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time, really. Really? Um, Yeah, I don't think there's one baseball wise conversation in some aspect that that definitely comes up for sure <laughs> you get tired of it no i mean it could be there could be worse things to be known for i mean you look at it they made a commercial of it the next year for baseball tonight with with Cruck and ravich and those guys so you know it'll be forever ingrained as as one of the weirdest things to happen in a game of baseball so I mean, I guess your legacy's left in, in weird ways that you never planned, and that definitely will be one of them. Put me on the mound in the eighth inning when that happens. So you're up one nothing. It's game two of the, of the ALDS. Uh, you're facing the Indians. This is your first big year in the majors. Uh, you're down one nothing in the series. You're up one nothing in game two. Pettit has thrown really well. You came in in the seventh inning. You got him out of a jam. Uh, and then you pitch the eighth, and what? All of a sudden? Well, yeah. I mean, you saw them a little bit in the seventh. I, you know, obviously, I didn't have any idea what they were. And then, next thing you know, I go back out for the eighth, and I'm it's inundated. And I'll never forget to this day, Derek. He said he wanted to come to the mound, but as he got closer to the mound, the bugs got worse. So I was like, ah, thanks, man. Here I am, a kid. Just My ears are wet in the big leagues. You're over here, one of the greatest to go down, but you can't even come through some bugs for me. But it was weird, and they're attracted to moisture. So in our um, rules, you can't add any foreign subject to your body, obviously, as we've seen in the past couple years. And so spraying off, it's sticky. And as Laz came out, and Laz Diaz was the umpire, and he sprained it himself, so I'm obviously I'm like, ah, I don't think anything's gonna go down. And it just attracted more bugs. I actually met the kid that bought the can of off the next spring training for the, he bought it for like six hundred bucks. Really? Yeah. He'd said he'd mowed a bunch of lawns and saved up money and they did like a a benefit auction and that was that was one of the things from the playoffs. How much do you think back on that two month ride? Because you debuted in August. Uh you're twenty 20- 21 at the time and you're a year out of Nebraska 13 months basically from pitching your last game at Lincoln and you get through the minors pretty quick uh, and you join their bullpen and you just had this electric 
two month ride where twenty four appearances, uh, tw- twenty four innings, thirty four strikeouts, one run, two and zero with a save. Uh, you you ha- you found this this slider that was just like God's gift to sliders. Uh, what the heck happened? Do you think back on that, those two months? Um, I just think back on the whole year. I mean, I remember sitting in a Cracker Barrel and signing cards for Tops when I was in Ben Salem, New Jersey, playing for Trenton. You know, next thing you know, you know, I'm sitting at Wendy's eating. I mean, you're making 350 bucks every two weeks. It's not like you can go to five-star restaurants when you're in the minor leagues. This is AAA. This is double AA. Double A. And then, or then in AAA, I get, get called up after the All-Star game, which was a I don't know what happened. I hadn't given up a homer all year. And I'm pitching against, um, they call it New Britain. It was the Twins. They called them hard-hit New Britain. I was like, ah, no big deal. Hadn't given up a homer. And then that's when they started to talk initially. It's the first time I heard of them moving me to the pen the next to, in a couple weeks. So I'm like, perfect. You know, go out. Reggie was there. Reggie Jackson was there. Cash was there. We get rained out. I'm like, oh, man. And so I was like, they're not going to watch. And, you know, kind of bummed. And then they're like, you're still getting the ball tomorrow. I show up. They're all there again. I'm like, sweet. Well, I went back-to-back homers the first two hitters of the game. You're starting at this Yeah, point. I'm starting. Still yeah. starting. Yep. And so I was like, well, that's a good, sweet impression. And then. <laughs> back-to-back homers. Yeah, back-to-back homers. Haven't given up one. They're coming to see it. And then two days later, I got called up to make my next start in Scranton. And then make the start, and then afterwards there's probably like 40 reporters at my locker, and I'm like, well, I mean, it was an okay game. It wasn't great. I mean, we were playing Louisville. I had actually picked up Jay Bruce for lunch before we played because we got to know each other in the All-Star game, and he didn't want to stay at the Lackawanna uh, train station because they say it's haunted, and that's where everybody stays in Scranton. <laughs> so I went to Montage Mountain, which Office fans knows that's a, a statue in that sitcom. and. Right. We went to Ruby Tuesday, had lunch, and pitched against him later, and sitting on my locker, and they're like, well, congratulations. And I'm like, for what? I mean, I pitched well. It wasn't like, no, they're moving you to the bullpen, and they're going to call you up. I never pitched at the bullpen, ever. Even that season? No, never. So I'd made 15 or 16 starts in the minor leagues. I think, yeah, 15 or 16. And so I make that start, then we go to the bullpen, and I have no idea how to warm up in the bullpen. Like, I don't, you know, I'm just learning how to pitch. That was my second full year of pitching. So I'm like, okay. So I'm watching guys, like, rub stuff on the thing, take Advil, like, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, okay, let me try all this. And so it ends up going pretty good, and I think I make three or four appearances out of the bullpen. And I'm sitting at Wendy's, and... Here I get the call. Um, our clubhouse guy, Todd, was like, hey, you need to pack. And I'm like, dude, the road trip's not for like another week. And he goes, no, you just got called up. I was like, come on. He goes, you need to get here now and pack. I call my dad. I'm like, dad, I got called up. I don't have time to talk to you. I'll call you when I get to the airport. I'm freaking out. And he was like, huh, hold on, what happened? I go, I just got called up. I've got to pack. And I was living at a Hampton Inn. I didn't even have a house, you know, so... Packing wasn't too bad. It was just my locker and trying to figure out what the heck just happened. And so, get it? Of course, my flight's delayed. Out of Scranton? Out of Philly. Okay. Yeah, out of Philly. So, which was nice, actually, because I got a chance to sit down and actually call my dad, talk to him. And, you know, he was obviously, what do you think? I was like, Dad, you know what? I love you. 
I'll call you when I get to Toronto, but there's a lot of other people I need to call right now. So called, called everybody, texted everybody. Um, and then I get to Toronto and it's like, I mean, it's a whole nother place. Like I'm just a kid from Nebraska. I really didn't travel much as a kid. And then in college, we kind of stayed in the Midwest. We didn't really go anywhere. So I get there and I'm like, we're staying at this super, super nice Park Hyatt. And I get to my room. My agent meets me outside, who's now become a really, really good family friend, even more so than he was my agent. And there was like a room to myself. And I'm like, where's my roommate? Like, dude, you're in the the big leagues. You don't have a roommate. I'm like, you serious? I was like, this is awesome. You know, there's people outside and. And I got to know Phil Hughes a little bit because he had hurt his hamstring that year and Jeff Karstens, they both were hurt. And so, and I had, my hamstring was hurt when I first started that year. So I kind of got a chance to know those guys. And so they made it a little bit easier because now the young kids will go to spring training and you have that feel around the guys. So you kind of know what to expect their personalities and they, you know, vice versa, they know you. Well, here's a kid that spent two and a half months in the minor leagues, and they're like, well, who is this kid? Mo thought I was from Alaska. <laughs> Alex thought I was from Africa. Um, so, I mean, it was just, it was it was crazy. I mean, I remember the first, the guy that I was basically taking his spot comes to me, and I didn't know, I didn't know him. And he goes, hey, before you take my job, will you at least have a drink with me? And I'm like, uh, I'm sure. Who was it? Brian Bruni. Okay, never heard of him. Yeah, so obviously not that cool story. But um, this is like the this is like the peak of. I mean, there's been a lot of peaks in the history of of Yankee celebrity, but you know, we're talking Rivera, Clemens, Pettit, A Rod, Jeter. I mean, yeah, it was, it was. This is just crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, it's. And the crazy part is, I was actually more nervous going to AAA than I was the big leagues. Why? I have no idea. It's, <laughs> now looking back, AAA, that just like my goal was to make it to AA, and I'm like, if I get to AA in my first year, I think that's a win. I skipped low A, didn't go to Charleston, went straight to Tampa, so I felt like that, you know, was a good chance for me to get to AA by the end of the year, and that was my goal. And if anything else happened, awesome, great. I didn't really know. And then once I got to the big leagues, we're in Toronto. And mind you, the clubhouse is about as wide as we sit here. <laughs> so, I mean, it's tight. And Kyle Farnsworth and Ron Vallone were right next to me. And Ron was great. But it's just, I just felt like, I was like, nobody expected me to be here. Nobody knows who the hell I am. My first day in the big leagues was unbelievable. We cleared benches twice. You did? Yeah. Roger got thrown out. Josh Towers got thrown out. <laughs> Josh Towers ended up becoming my teammate the two years later. Yeah, 2009. And it sucked because there's a back way into the Rogers Center. And so I'm nervous. My stomach is in all kind of knots. And people that have been to Canada, their food tastes different. Like, it's just different food. And I'm nervous anyways. I'm trying not to throw up on myself. <laughs> I get left on the bus, and so I got my big bag. I'm getting off the bus. I mean, I literally didn't have a collared shirt. Or I had collared shirts, but I didn't have slacks. I didn't have anything. It was expensive getting to the big leagues. I had to go to get Gap, and I spent like 700 bucks on like shirts and slacks and shoes because I I, we had to travel with collared shirts, and that was it. So, I mean, I had enough of those. And so... I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, and I didn't know there was a bathroom right behind. This the, is before well, the game. This is now the game has started. Okay, okay. The game has started. And so I'm like, I go to the bathroom. I think it's the third inning, maybe third or fourth. 
And this stemmed from, that was the year that Alex supposedly screamed while he was running between second and third, and the guy dropped the ball. So he gets plunked and <laughs> goes to first. And mind you, I'm in the bathroom at this time. So I'm like, I'm coming out and I'm like, what? Nardi looks at me and he goes, you need to get on the field. I'm like, what happened? So I don't have my belt on. I'm trying to grab my fleece. I'm running out. This is the second time they've cleared. I missed the, and this is all veterans in the bullpen. So like, I, you have to come out of the clubhouse, down some stairs, up some stairs, and onto it. So like, I'm in the back, so people can't see me. And it's not a far run from the bullpen. So everybody was there. So I absolutely feel about an inch tall. I'm like, this is the worst first impression I could that could I they dream. think they think you're hiding in the bathroom, right? And so yeah, so I go I don't go back with them to the bullpen on the field. I walk the back way because I didn't my spikes weren't tied, like I didn't have my jersey on, I didn't have my belt on. I'm like, holy cow. So I get there and they're all just staring at me and I'm I am just anxiety, I'm sweating profusely, like what do I say? Like, I didn't run out with him, and we cleared benches twice. I go, I was there for the second one, though. I come in the eighth inning, and Angel Hernandez comes out, and he's like, hi, job. And I'm like, I don't even know how you know my name, but nice to meet you, sir. And he comes up to me, and he's like, hey, um, warnings have been out. I've already thrown somebody out. You can pitch in, but if you hit somebody, i got to throw you out. And he tosses me the ball and says, good luck. <laughs> so here we go. I'm like, holy cow. Um well, let's 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 give her a go. And I faced Ray Almeida was my first hitter, and I struck him out. So um, it was a very eventful first day. That is for sure. You, um, I think your teammates knew. I read an article where they knew after the first appearance that you were, you know, you were legit. Uh, Giambi saw your stuff, and he he was already thinking, "Hey, this is Mariano Rivera's heir apparent." Uh, when did you realize that? Hey. This is, I'm good enough to do this. Um, you know what? I honestly, to this day, I still I don't think I've ever thought that. Mm-hmm. And it was just something for me where it always gave me something to to look forward to, to, to continue to work. You're always, I mean, there's so much technology. Everybody can see every pitch you throw against them and against somebody like them. So it, I mean, it it came to the point when it was it got to where you just understood it. You didn't. I never really felt like, oh man, I'm here. This is, you know, and so it was, it, I never had one of those. I mean, after like the first couple of weeks when things finally started to slow down a little bit, as far as the game, everything else was speeding up off the field and, and what have you. So it never really, I mean, once, once everything got going and, and I knew I could get people out and I, I mean, there's just certain bats that I'll never forget in my first year. There's certain bats I don't, I mean throughout my career but I always loved Vlad and just yeah just because he could I mean he threw the absolute rockets from right and so I got to face him in Anaheim and I'm like I want to throw this dude the as hard as I can and see how hard he swings (laughs) and so I threw and it was 102 and he fouled it straight back and I literally was like wow that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen then I threw him two sliders and he missed them by 48 feet Funny story about him. I threw him a curveball that hit the ground, and he hit a homer. Really? Yeah, out to left when he was with Baltimore. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean. But, like, you, but you had those moments where you were, where you could kind of. I mean, uh, yeah, I step knew. Step out of I knew, yeah, bit. I knew. 
I knew I was good enough to get people out. There was never like a I belong here moment, but I knew, and that's just the way I pitched. I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing, to be honest with you. I'm not a mechanics guy, but you know what? I'm going to throw it hard, and if you hit it, you hit it. If you don't, so be it, see ya. So I think that was just the mentality that I had, and I think that just carried over to the not. I'm here. It's like once, it's one thing, and I think it came to fruition about year six and seven. Because it's like, holy cow, I've lasted longer than most people and now I get a chance to go to free agency. And I think once you become a free agent and you've played that much in the big leagues, that, that, that may be the time when you're like, you know what, okay, you know, it just wasn't one year or two years. You know, I've stuck it out and, and here we are in year six and seven. So I think that's kind of the, I guess, the, the point where it comes to be like, I do belong, I guess. I hate to focus on one pitch, but when I saw you in August of 07 on TV, I just remember thinking, holy crap, where did that slider come from? Because you were not, I mean, you weren't throwing a slider like that at Nebraska. No, I mean... What happened? Rob always showed me the grip initially. Childress. Yeah. And... So I'd thrown it. it. It wasn't as hard as I go back and look at certain um, videos from college. And, you know, it was loopier. And then once I got to pro ball, Scott Aldred was my coach in Hawaii. And we kind of went over some just mechanical things, I guess. Um, and it kind of it kind of went from there. I mean, instead of in college, I was 89 to 96. And then I think my first start, I didn't throw a pitch under like 97. So, I mean, it's just an importance of mechanics and the things that you can change. Um, and then was just really aggressive with it, I think, more so. And You were I mean, throwing it hard. Yeah, yeah. And so... Is that what that means? Yeah. And I, uh, hard is one thing, but aggressive is, is... What does that mean? You just... I mean, because there's times where I'll baby a slider just for a strike. Mm. And there's times where you have to be aggressive, and it's like, okay, I know this is going to either hit him in the back foot or he's going to swing and miss it. Throwing it hard is one thing, but being aggressive with it in the zone was was something that I wasn't afraid to do anymore. So, um, and, I mean, I would shake to it all the time. I mean, I still have conversations with the guys all the time, like, 3-2, what's your job going to do? Uh, probably 90% he's going to throw you a slider. And they know it, and so it just, you know, it's just a pitch that no matter what, I would always go to. You, uh... You only walk. We were talking about that first year, two thousand seven. Twenty four innings. You only walk six guys. Yeah, I mean, your control was was tight. Yeah, it was. It. I mean, it went so fast. And like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just out there throwing, and it it worked. I mean, it, it carried over from my my first winter ball experience in Hawaii, and I think it was about the same. I, 40 innings, and I think I walked like two or three guys. And and then there, I mean, there's years where I've walked a lot, but I, really that's never been my MO per se. Um, a couple of years I had decent high walk numbers. Uh, but I always just tried to attack the zone. And when I got out of the, okay, don't try to strike everybody out mode, was sometimes when I would start walking guys because I would, I would try to be too fine. And when I would just stay aggressive and be like, okay, here it is, is usually when I was at my best. Okay, so you come back to Yankee Stadium. You get your introduction to Yankee Stadium. Uh, Which was awesome because it was Bob Shepard. Oh, really? Yeah, it was awesome. You also get your introduction to the to the New York fans. 
Yeah. Uh, and they were, it didn't take very long for them to figure out that you were something special. What, what do you remember about that? I remember the first time going in and we had to take a golf cart because George didn't want us walking. So we take it and like I remember driving through and it's you're through the fans and you're through Monument Park and I'm like, wow. Like that's when it kind of sunk in. I'm like, holy crap, here we go. And I mean, the fans were unbelievable. I'm like, how do you guys even know me? Like, I mean, just screaming and going nuts and it just I mean, the first time those doors opened and you know, you gotta walk through the cobblestone, so you're not I don't want to fall down in front of everybody because you got to walk around and the fans are right here and when it opened and I was just like holy cow like this is real you're talking about the bullpen doors yeah bullpen doors and because we were tiered up so you had to walk you had to walk down and then on the cobblestone and then onto the field when the gates opened so yeah it was the, the fans were unbelievable on and off the field it was I mean just walking down that was that was weird that was weird walking down the street and have people honk at you you know, and just not really understanding the dynamic of what was happening. Because here I'm, you know, a year ago, I'm living with my dad going to college. Like, you know, it's I just had my son, so I'm trying to figure that out too. And, you know, here you are down the street and, you know, you're not paying for anything. It's like, dude, when I couldn't afford it, I had to pay for it. Now I can afford it and now I get it for free. It's like, it's weird. Do you remember the first time you heard him chant Java? Um... No, I mean, I tried to soak it up as much as I could. And it was just, I mean, I just remember every time we'd get two strikes, how loud it would get. And the old stadium was so loud. I mean, that was one of the greatest places ever. And I was fortunate enough to pitch in both. And the nostalgia of the old stadium was unbelievable. And I just, you know, it would shake. And just hearing with two strikes and people going nuts. And I'll never forget when I got thrown out. Like, how loud that place. I couldn't even hear myself think. It was awesome. What happened? I was actually going for my first save, and we were playing the Red Sox. Angel Hernandez again. And first save, I'm like, boom. You know, I'm like, I'm so excited. I've probably done this two or three times in my career. All the pitches that I've thrown, I've never thrown two in the exact same spot. Probably two or three times. (laughs) Maybe. And they both were, like, right at Kevin Uglis's, like, not over his head, but, like, in by him. At his chin. And then Angel throws me out. And Daryl Cousins comes over, who's now, he's retired. But he comes over, and he's like, Job, you got to go. I go, I didn't even hit him. I didn't get a warning, and Angel just threw me out. Like, what is going on? And there's a picture. I'll never forget. Like, my hands are, like, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. I didn't know, like, I was like, I didn't hit him. Like, I didn't throw it over his head. They, there was... You know, they weren't, I don't know what to tell you. And so I got thrown out and the place went crazy. And that was like my first introduction to the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry, which it was a good one. Um, And I just, I'll never forget walking off the mound and they are going absolute berserks. And I'm I'm mad because it was my first chance at a save. And I'm like, it's my first save. I'm not trying to get thrown out of a game in my first opportunity, Angel. And so... It was that was probably a, one of the coolest like odd memories of my first year was getting thrown out and having the fans go crazy. What was the feedback like from from teammates? Uh, I mean, what were your? You know, oh, they killed me. No, not not to that, but just like 
Oh, not that. Just overall. Just over those no, they were days. killing me. Oh, why? Because they're like, oh, kid, it's that easy. I remember I gave up my first run to Mike Lowell. I think the ball's still going to this day. He hit it about 948 <laughs> feet. If you've ever – baseball fans, no Fenway. So over the Green Monster, you have the seats. Behind that is actually their parking lot for the players. And then there's another building. He hit it on the back side of the building, and it went to the street on the other side. So if you're ever watching a game – and you see Fenway. That's where Mike Lowell hit that ball. And Roger had pitched seven innings, I think, before. And it was my first run given up in like 20-some innings. And I come up, and Roger's sitting right there. And he's like, nice job, kid. It's really not that easy, though. And I'm like, huh? He's like, yeah, you just gave up your first run. I go, no, you see how far it went? Like, I was excited how far it went. And he was like, it's not that easy. And I was just like, and then I'd always have to get donuts. I remember I, they, were, they were doing a show or something. And Derek's like, oh, okay, go get the Wonder Boy, you know. So it was, it was all in good fun. But I mean, it was just, it was something that they'd never seen before, and so it was all kind of new to everybody. And yeah, they gave me a hard time. Like my favorite shirt. I mean, it was like a fifty dollars shirt, but I wore it to like every interview because it was my favorite shirt. They just took it out of my locker and threw it away. Really? Yeah. I tell him, talk to Jason Zillow, who's still the PR guy. He owes me a shirt because he knows who did it. and He never told me. But yeah, I wore the same as a baby blue shirt. I wore it all the time. And they took it out of my locker and threw it away. Did you have any relationship with, you know, like what was your relationship like with Clemens, for instance? It was great. I got to know him um, early in the year because that was when he came back for half the year. Yeah. And so he was doing stuff in Tampa, and I had blown out my hamstring that spring training. So I got to know him on that level, and we had, we had, the, we had the same agent. So um, I had really got to know him on like a personal level more so than the baseball side until he finally came over and I mean he gave me one of the best pieces of advice that I tell young kids to this day he goes get the book of all the umpires and I'm like at this point I'm like what are you talking about like seriously and as my career progressed I understood what he meant if you created a relationship with them and not and because their egos sometimes are bigger than ours. Yeah. Because they're not necessarily held accountable. But if you treat them and call them by their first name and you don't have to be specific, like, how's Mary? Just be like, hey, how's how's the family? And they it goes so far you would not believe that. And <laughs> you know, they say it's true with sports writers too, but um, Oh yeah. But, I mean but, but anyway. I'm so, pretty good dealing with media. So so when you say get the book on the umpires, you don't mean where they call balls and strikes. No, it's mean, it's know their know their family, know how everything's going. That's and, interesting. And it's more times than not, it has come in handy because now when you talk to them, they don't feel like they're being attacked. You're like, Angel, where's that at? You got to give me one side or the other. You know, and it's not like, hey, where? You know, the, just that one word, that that name instead of hey. And if you have a question, I was Brian Rungi was behind the plate one time when I was starting against the Tigers. And I'm throwing balls perfectly on the outer third. And he's not giving me inner half or outer half. So there was a foul ball or something or a pass ball. And I come up and I'm like, Brian, where are those? Like, come on, Brian. I got to have one or the other. I go, I know you're not going up, but you got to give me something here. And, you know, my gloves over my mouth and, you know, it's nothing crazy. And I'm like, come on, Brian. I mean, which way can I go? And he's like, I think I missed a couple, but don't show me up and I'll give it to you. And I'm like... Perfect. Is that how it works? And literally did the same thing, and, and he gave me the outer half. And inner half is fine. I don't. 
you can't give me both, but you got to give me something. These guys are too good. And more times than not, I've come into predicaments to where that has been in my favor when you've had those conversations. And, you know, especially the young kids, you know, because some of them are biased towards the young kids, you know, new, whatever, this, that, and other thing. But if you just create a relationship early, hopefully you play for a long time and you get it, then you actually get to know them. And so it's just, it was one of the biggest pieces of advice that, that I've ever got. And it's so simple. Um, season ends, 2007 season ends. And it was pretty clear. I, everybody kind of understood, hey, you're going, you're going to try to be a starter. Mm-hmm. Right? You wanted that too. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing I knew. I mean, I'd never pitched out of the bullpen. I mean, obviously I didn't expect it to go that way, but only thing I knew was how to and it wasn't just the the pitching part it was all the other stuff like I didn't it was like there was one day where I worked out and I did it was actually in Toronto as well and Joe came up afterwards and he was like you look tired today and it was just trying that balance of okay I'm gonna work out throw run and compete all in the same day that's hard to balance after you've had your five days and you know okay I'm gonna take off and run for 45 minutes after my start lift heavy and then gradually your easiest day is the day you start but some days you would do everything in the bullpen, and that was that was the hardest part to try to figure out. Do you do you, do you regret that? I mean, do you wish that? Hey, I wish I just would have been you know a reliever. No, no, not at all. I mean, everything happens for a reason. I just you know I got to do some really odd and cool things. Um, and I I look back and I don't second guess anything. I mean, obviously there there are things about when I started that I would change, but. You know, that's what you live and you learn. And, you know, I just, I hope it, I've had conversations with guys that have transitioned. Wade Davis is a, is a huge one of mine that he was going back and forth and we were playing catch and he, you know, he asked me and I just told Wade, I go, Wade, whatever I can tell you is stay there. Don't be bounced back and mm-hmm. forth. Whatever you are in that, in the beginning, stay that way. And it just because it, it's just hard to go back and forth. So the lesson was more people trying to bounce you back and forth. Yeah, it can be done in the right way. I mean, it, it does happen every day. I mean, you have guys that will pitch in the bullpen, and but they're your long guy. Somebody goes and, you know, he's got he's got a spot start or somebody gets lit up and he's got to go eat four or five innings. So, you know, that, that does happen, but that's their role. If you already know your role and that's part of it, you, you come to expect the, the weird things. But as a guy, when you don't and it's like, okay, you're going to start – but you're only going to make this many starts and you're going to go to the pen and vice versa. That's when it just becomes hard and trying to balance your body because your body wants to do one thing, your mind wants to do another, and then your arm does a totally different thing because that's just what we do. Pink Steinbrenner was arguing that that he wanted you to start. Um, Your pitching coach, Dave Island, wanted you to be a reliever. There's... They're sort of bouncing back and forth here, uh, and they, they create the next year, 2008. They create the Jabba rules, where you know you're you're basically held to a pretty strict innings limit, right? Uh, what's this like for you? I mean, this this is like <laughs> this is so bizarre. It's becoming you know it becomes like its own little. Uh, it's like what do we do with this incredible weapon that we've found? Yeah, and you know it's obviously. A topic that's always talked about and I just think 
like I said, I, if you stay in one spot, you stay. And I, I think I can look at it from both perspectives and be like, okay, instead of once every five days, we can use them three times in a week, you know? So, but I mean, I literally got to my innings. I was like at a hundred and something in the first half, you know? And then, so you come back and then I'm eight days in between starts. I'm five days in between starts. I'm 10 days in between starts. My last four starts was four innings, three innings, two innings, and two innings. <laughs> so I go out. I, I can't win the game. You know, and it, it was frustrating. And it's like, if you go back and look at that year, go look at my starts where I actually had five days compared to when I didn't. So in other words, once you got into a rhythm, you were Well, yeah, good. and I would go four in a row, and then next thing you know, it's like I'm going five, six, seven innings. I never got to finish a game. I remember I had, was... Eight innings, I was throwing a two or three hitter against the Rays, and I had like 94, 95 pitches, and I, they took me out of the game, and we lost the shutout. Brian Bruni actually gave up a homer in the next inning. So, I mean, I understand it, but it, the innings limit, I don't get. And you're 22 years old, yeah. so you can't really say, hey, guys, this isn't what I want to do. No, if I'm 25, 26, and that, as it would be, it would be my fifth or sixth year in the big leagues, then 100%. I would have no problem. I mean, I would always tell like Brad and, and Ned and all those guys when I would pitch for them and even uh, Tito, I would be like, I can't pitch in games when it's 10 to 1 just to get work in. You know, in, and that goes along with, you know, it's when can you say things and what, what was I going to say? I was in the big leagues. I, I spent two and a half months, three months in the minor leagues and they're telling me what to do. I'm yeah, you're Joe. Yeah. You're Joe Torrey. I'm gonna listen. You're Brian Cashman. Yeah, I'm not. I'm yeah, to I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go back and forth. And at the same time, my agent, who's been in the game for so long, has Roger, Andy, a bunch of other guys, had never been through it either. So it's it's kind of it was kind of steerheaded like. And then Phil Hughes, the next year, they let him continue. He won 18 games, but he had a five and a half. You know what? Do you, what happens to me? And go on. And so there's so many things you can look at it from so many different angles, and I just think. Like you said, if I'm, you know, five or six years in, it's, you know, I can say, no, I don't want to do this, or I think I need to stay here. But at that point, I mean, my feet are just getting wet. I went to the playoffs in my first year. You know, I'm, whatever you guys need, I'm in. Like, I mean, I don't really know what else to say. Uh, Island said something. I don't know when he said it, but he said, uh, he said, I don't think that delivery would allow him to be a starter. The delivery wasn't repeatable, and I didn't think it would play over 100 pitches. That's, in some ways, that's obvious, right? Like, when you go in for one inning, it's full bore. You know you got 15 pitches, three outs. Right. I mean, but you look at, they said two people have had perfect mechanics. Steven Strasburg and Mark Pryor. They both blew out. They look at Tim Linscombe, and they're like, there's no way this guy holds up in the big leagues. The guy went too so young. So you can say and, and, and venture out to whatever you want, but you don't know until it happens. You, you don't know. I mean, that's your opinion, and do I value Dave? Dave's a good friend of mine. But at the same time, you never allowed me to do that. If you it don't didn't al allow you to do what? I never threw over 100 pitches. I did it in minor leagues. You did in college. I did in college. Hell, I threw 167 pitches in a game. At UNK, right? Uh, I was against Johnny Dorn, summer ball. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So, in, in that aspect, I understand it's obviously way different from, from college and, and so up, but I never got the chance to do it. You never, you never let me start every five days for a year and see what happens. 
You did the Phil Hughesy won 18 games and had a five and a half, but you still ran him out there. And that's what happens when you get into a role. And so it, it's just one of those things when it's like, okay, it's not repeatable. Okay, well, it obviously as a starter, I have a winning record. And my ERA is not five. So there's obviously something that works there. It wasn't like I was going out getting my crap beat out of me. Yeah. You know, so... Chava, you were this. You were in a very difficult spot because you're 21, 22, 23 years old. Um, you were, you know how they say in celebrity that you, you know, they build you up far enough to knock you down, right? And you know, you. I think you had some self-imposed mistakes that you made, um, whether it was. A DUI or behavior or whatever. Uh, I don't know all the particulars of that stuff. But d- did you feel like the first two months on the scene almost kind of set you up in a very difficult spot? Could it get any better? Not like literally. There's. I mean, I gave up one run. You know, so it was only going downhill. <laughs> you didn't know that at the time, though. Well, how is it going to get better, Dirk? But you didn't know that. I mean, you thought you were going to be a 10-year starter in the league, right? Well, I played 11 years. No, I know, but you thought you were going to be a rotation guy. and I mean, that was the expectation, right? Well, I mean, yeah, for me. And But like I said, going back to it, and, and the question is, where, what, other, what other way can we have gone? I mean, the debate is okay. Now, like you said earlier, okay, we start and we get to use him in a different capacity, but if we keep him in the pen, are we going to have that? So, you know, it's... Did you think you were going to be Roger Clemens? I mean, you go out to be the best. I mean, I, I no, I didn't want to be Roger Clemens. I wanted to be Job Chamberlain. That's, you know what I mean, though. Well, I understand, but no, I don't necessarily know. It wasn't... It was, were the expectations too high? No. they were. I, I had them higher myself than anybody else. I mean, I expected to, to do every time that I went out, no matter if I started a relief, to do the best that I could obviously but to have the results in, in the first year but I mean that's that's just not the way life works that's not the way the game works and so the expectations of myself were higher than anybody could put on me mm-hmm. and so that gets frustrating in the part but you do everything you can with the position that you're put in to try to make the best of it and I, and I felt like I did a pretty good job of that for the most part okay this, this podcast is called Where I Come From which means it's biographical, which means I try to get into some stuff from way back. Um, you have a fascinating childhood. Um, you were, you're a Lincoln kid through and through, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically you're, you grew up with your dad and your older sister mm-hmm. uh, at a little house uh, just off of, what, 33rd and Vine? Yep, 32nd between S and T. Uh, 526 North 32nd. What was your childhood? It was awesome. Awesome. I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, obviously, everybody's childhood is different. And then you know what? It's like they made a big deal of it that my dad, you know, had polio or whatever. But yeah, your dad had polio. Yeah, so everybody, everybody's dad has something. You know, it just so happened mine was in a wheelchair. He changed diapers. He did everything the way everybody else does. Just did it a little different. And so I never made it a big deal. Everybody else did. Um, and, I mean, it was great. We played pickle in between the trees. 
you know, we had a little front stoop where there was all the gloves, the bases, and my dad, my dad is a hoarder. He is, 100%. But he would always go to garage sales and stuff, and he would get all the baseball stuff he could because inevitably there would be a game going on something, and we would have all the bases and the gloves. And even if we weren't home, kids knew that they could come in and grab stuff and go use it. So <laughs> it was, I mean, it was great. Obviously, we didn't have a bunch of stuff. We didn't grow up with a lot, but we grew up with what we needed. And, you know, it was... We had a roof over our head that sometimes leaked, sometimes didn't. When it rained, I'd have to empty a pail out of the uh, out of the closet. But you know, you just make it work with what you got. And I feel like it turned out all right. So um, it, it's one of those things where you look back, and I'm so grateful for the things I have today. And it, it all started from where I came from. It wasn't baseball's been great to me, but I mean, even if I didn't play as long as I did, win World Series, do some really cool things, I think the upbringing would have, would have made me successful in any capacity just from the things that I saw and in the way that my dad sacrificed and even my mom and even through her struggles and through whatever she taught me a lot too. You're, you're a ball boy for Lincoln Northeast on state championship teams. You go to Lincoln Northeast to pitch. Uh, late bloomer would be putting it mildly, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even pitch. I think my senior year I pitched 20 or 30 innings maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I didn't really pitch full time until I was a junior. You go from Lincoln Northeast to UNK. Well, no, I don't go to school right away. I stay home and work for the city. That's right. Yeah. So stay home, work for the city, 730, every day. You're 18 years old. You just got out of high school. Yeah. And your first semester out of high school, while all your buddies are going off to college, yeah. you're working parks yeah. and stuff, right? Yeah. So like the first half would be like stocking bathrooms, cleaning bathrooms, scrubbing them. And then the second half would usually I'd get to like mow a field or edge it or do something. So it was always something to do with baseball. And are you thinking to yourself, man, this sucks, or man, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life? Or what are you thinking at that point? I'll be honest with you, I've never ever had that conversation with myself. I literally have never sat and was like, "What's next?" Yeah. And it just it all. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why we have faith, and it's my. My path is already planned. I'm just I'm just a part of it. And it just, it, it literally has never, I've never sat down and, and thought about, okay, what am I going to do? I, you know, I go, I'm literally go to the junior, senior, stars thing at um, Nebraska. And then Damon was there, Damon Day. And hold on, hold on. This is, a, this is like a showcase yeah type yeah junior senior stars so you come out and this it's is like the end of the summer right yes so after you graduate high school yeah end of the summer you go to a showcase yep and damon basically says i don't have money for you now right i'm trying to remember I'm trying yeah to that, yeah because he was just coming in okay and so so you had to like basically sit out and i was like well it wasn't even he didn't have any money which was fine it didn't i didn't really expect a lot anyways um and so I was like, man, I'll just go go to work and help pay bills. And, you know, I'm living at home. So I'm like, oh, you know, something will happen. And I knew I had opportunities to play because, we, I mean, we'd, we'd taken a bunch of trips. And so it comes and I literally, I told my dad, I'm like, I'll stay and work. Like, it doesn't, like, he's like, no, you're going to school. And I'm like, okay. So he drops me off. This is January. This is January, yeah. That was an interesting first day, too. Um, Obviously, I've always lived at home. It's the first time I've ever, you know, and it's not like they're just down the street. So 
it was a little, <laughs> I was a little nervous. I was scared. I mean, they, they set up my room fine. And, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't in there more than an hour after my family left and, you know, there's snowballs coming in and I'm like, holy crap. The dude on the other side of the dorm forgot to shut his alarm off. So that's going off at like seven in the morning. And <laughs> so I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And then he ended up, so I didn't have a roommate. He ended up moving out, which was cool having your own dorm room. So that was great. But yeah, I just, I never, I never had that conversation because I'm like, you know what? This isn't my plan anyway. So what's it matter? You know, I'm just going to go along with it. You weren't great your first year at UNK. Right? No, it was three and five of the five. It was, yeah, it wasn't good. I'm like, but my three wins were against the number one team in the country, the number three team in the country, and then a team that stunk. Why and, did you transfer? Well, honestly, I had, I was a 17-year-old. I was a 16-year-old senior. I turned 17 my senior year. So I was young enough to still come and play Legion ball. So instead of um, playing somewhere that summer, I actually came back and worked for the same guy I worked for doing fields and stuff. And played Legion Ball. You played Legion Ball after your freshman year of college. Yeah. At the end of my freshman year, Carney, they're like, dude, you're throwing like 98. I'm like, dude, shut up. No chance. Like, we don't even have a radar gun at this point. And they're like, no. It's like, seriously. I'm like, dude, whatever. Like, beat it. So things start happening. Um, and So you weren't necessarily good. You were just throwing hard. No. Right? Was t- three and five is awful. <laughs> Um, so what, are you, a, what are you doing throwing 98 when you're 3 and 5? I, I don't know what I'm doing. And so we go and do all, do all my summer stuff. And they're like, dude, you're throwing hard. And I'd face Johnny, and Johnny was going to Nebraska. Johnny Dorn. Yep. And I think I ended up punching out like 27. He punched out like 24 or something. We both pitched like 12 innings or something stupid. 10 innings maybe. I think it was 10 innings. I don't know. what It was a lot. And so... Then they're like, hey, you know, Nebraska Nebraska was there. And I'm like, they obviously didn't stay for the whole thing, didn't talk to him. And Doug Kaltenberger was my high school coach, came over to Southwest, but was neighbors with Rob Childers. And so as this is going, they're like, Job, you're throwing hard. And I'm like, whatever. So then they are like, the season's over. They're like, hey, would you throw for the Beatrice Bruins? And I'm like... I pitched 54 innings. It's not like, you know, I was logging innings and knew what I was doing. I'm like, no. This is a semi-pro team in Beatrice. Yeah, in Beatrice in the Mink League, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas. So we're playing the Clorinda A's in Clorinda, Iowa. And go there. And Jeff Christie's my catcher. Go out there and I think I throw like seven innings or something. And topped out at 99. And that was the first time that somebody has gunned it and came over and told me. And I, you know, because I could see it. And, holy crap. And so. Are you thinking, holy crap? Yeah. And at this point, I'm like, I couldn't get anybody out in the RMAC. I mean, granted, my two wins were against ranked people, but I'm like, this is Division Two. It's good baseball to me, I thought. But I'm like, there's no way I'm going to Nebraska. Like, I'm not going to cut this. This is, this is way out of mind. And so they, you know, they're like, Jeff was like, dude, that's that's some of the best stuff I've seen. And he would come over. I don't remember who was radar gun. I'm like, dude, you're, you set, you were 97 and 99 that whole inning. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. 
He goes, I thought it was a misread a couple times, and nope, they were the same. And so, literally, this is August. School is literally starting in two weeks. And so I've got to make a decision. And so I fall asleep. I think we stopped to get something to eat. I fall asleep in the car. And I wake up, and I look at my dad, and I go, I can't not do this. I have to go. I mean, I didn't take a tour of the campus. I haven't done jack squat diddly. So my dad was like, whatever you want. And I was like, all right, let's call him. Because so, you had an offer to go there? Yeah, they wanted me to go. But I was like, I don't, you know, and I just, I felt such a tie to Damon at right. Kearney because it was his first year. He was trying to start a new program who he's become a great friend. One of my best friends stayed there, was player of the year. You know, they won a conference championship and he's done some unbelievable things. And, you know, I wanted to be part of that. You know, my name is on the side of the building now for a reason. And I just, I couldn't look at it and be like, okay, I've got a guy I grew up with who's going to be one of the first two picks taken. There's going to be such an advantage. Alex Gordon. There's going to be such an advantage of having Alex and the guys around me than it would be if I'm at Carney. So I was like, I have to do it. And then six months later... You're pitching against Texas on ESPN. Uh, I love hockey that they went on strike. Thank you, guys. The NHL goes on strike, (laughs) and college baseball becomes like part of ESPN's main. We were the most televised team that year. We were on 13 times, which is crazy to me. It's like think about, but yeah, I mean, it went went from not knowing if I was going to pitch to now was national pitcher of the week against New Mexico. Then I pitched against Rice the next week and beat them. And then it's opening of big uh, Big 12 season, and um, he's like, uh, Job, you're starting on Friday. I'm like, what? And obviously they, they thought Zach Kronicky from Millard, he was the Friday night guy of the year before. And, you know, he's supposed to go in top three rounds, lefty that throws hard, and next thing you know, I took his job. And it was... It was weird. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And How do you explain it? I don't know. How do you explain, if I could, I'd write a book. How do you explain <laughs> how a 17-year-old who barely pitches at all in high school, how do you go from that to 19 years old being a Friday night guy at Nebraska? I, you know what? I don't know. I mean... It just, it all kind of came together, I guess, as far as, like I said, the bits and pieces that I learned, like from Carney, the, the the running and the importance of all that stuff, you know, and and it just, I mean, you grow up a little bit, you become a man per se, as your body does, um, and I think that's really, they just, they all started to kind of click together. I still didn't know what I was doing. Who taught you how to pitch? Like, who taught you? Nobody. Nobody? No. I just kind of went and did it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I never did. I worked on mechanics one time with Rob Childers there, and we would do at Carney. We would do like dry sides and stuff like that. But it was never. I would never sat down and broke down mechanics. Um, I mean, I can now, obviously, but never going through it. I mean, I did one drill, and it was just a balance drill on a two by four. Other than that, he goes. And he literally would just go. He just go compete your balls off for me. That's all I can ask. That's what Rob would say. Yeah, that's all. He, that's all he would say. <laughs> Like he goes, I don't care what it looks like. You go out and compete for me. Something good's gonna happen, and it did. So isn't that something? 
And that, I mean, that's the, that's the, basically the mentality I took the whole time because I knew my mechanics were terrible. Like, I'll be the first one to admit it. I don't care. I'm stiff on my front side. I'm late sometime. Like it's, I mean, I could break it down where it wouldn't make sense to the normal person, but it's just, you, when you just go compete and stop worrying about the other stuff and not be a robot and it's, you just get the best out of yourself. And I think that's in any aspect. I think it's when you just go out and be the best you can be with the information that you have, you can always get better. But there's something to be said also for um, just having a clear mind, right? I mean, I imagine you learn that later on. I mean, it's when you start thinking about things a lot, you're almost... Yeah, when you start thinking of the pitching aspect of it, I mean, I can... There's one moment in my career that I'll never forget, and people, they ask me about it. It was game six of the World Series. It was a 2-2 count. Oh, nine. In 2009, and I step off the mound and start laughing. And I, it, that was the moment, and I'm just like, "This, what is going on right now?" It's a two-two count in the game six of the World Series, and I step off and like smirk, and everybody kind of looked at me funny. And then I ended up striking the guy out, but it was just like you said, having a clear mind. But I, there's so much. Whoa, 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 to, why did you do that? You're talking about having like a clear mind. I think a clear mind is. It doesn't do like you have to absorb and understand the dynamic of the things around you and what is happening. And I would always try to like dudes walkout songs. I would sing because that's just who I was. This spring training, Joey Votto was hitting and he came up to something that I didn't think Joey would come up to. And Joey's out there. Joey's a great dude. And literally I start bobbing my head and singing. He steps out of the batter's box. He goes, Jobby, you like that song? And I'm like, yeah, that's nice. He goes, me too. Steps back in the box and flies out to second base. And it's just like that for me is a clear mind because that I'm, I'm absorbing what's going on around me. The fact that I get to do something I've dreamed about my entire life in love and I'm actually pretty good at it. And it's, it's a game. People talk about, did you ever feel pressure? I'm like, no. What the, pressure? Really? Like I get paid to play a game. Pressure is when you get home and you can't pay your bills and your lights are off. And you got to figure something out. Playing this game isn't pressure. See, I always compare this stuff to golf because you know you play a lot of golf now, and you, you know that the more you're thinking about stuff, typically the more you're getting in your own way. Right. Is it true with pitching too? Yeah, I think when you become over analytical of yourself and you become, like I said, a robot in your own mind. Okay, am I staying over the rubber? Am I? You know, there's always certain things. Okay, I missed arm side. Obviously, I was late. You know, I opened up too early. When that, when that starts becoming the thing, and that is the difference between guys that make it and guys that don't. They can self-correct and they know what's going on. And so I think as they're too related, pitching and golf, because is baseball team sport? Yes. But does it start until I go? No. And to that, it's all the guys I've talked to. There's, there's two types of guys that I've talked to that – Somebody that wants to know everything, like Max Scherzer, I've never, like he does his own scattering reports, position guys in certain places, he does it all himself. There's other guys that they'll go through the scattering report and that's it. Nothing else, you know, take care of everything else. So it's just, I mean, it, it, it all plays to who you are and, and, and how you like to do things because there are some guys that want to know everything. Was part of your success at 19 that you just didn't think about any of that crap? Well, I didn't know any better. I didn't know. Did you start getting in your own way more as you got older? Well, yeah. When you, when, when you have to harness something that is so genuine and real 
and you get, you know, you absolutely get ostracized for getting excited and showing emotion, and then they tell you to hide that. That's hard to do, and it's on. It's my own fault. But at the same time, you're told to hide something that is who you are as a person. I'm the most authentic person, I think. You know what? I got my DUI. I made it. I didn't want to hide it. Like I'm a human being. I had a signing two weeks later in New Jersey, and you know everybody was like, "Thank you." And I'm like, you know what? It's I'm human. We make mistakes, and so you don't run and hide from them. You grow from them. And if you don't do that, what are you doing? Not everything in your life is going to be positive, but everything in your life you can turn into a positive. I find myself asking, I've, I've done probably about 20 of these podcasts, and I, ask, I find myself asking, being drawn to the idea of how people deal with struggles and failure. Mm-hmm. I talked to Trev Alberts about it. I talked to Jordan Burroughs about it. I talked to Kyle Peterson about it. I mean, there's... Okay, Pete. It's, it's true of, you know, in, in every sport. How do you, you're 32 years old, how do you deal with, you know, regrets? How do you deal with, you know, man, Max Scherzer's still pitching the league, you know, still starting 30 games and, you know, in the Cy Young race. And he and I were basically the same guy in college and, and I'm not. You know, how do you, how do you deal with that stuff? It's life. Like, it all happens for, like I said, this isn't my plan. This is already all planned out for me. So what, what? I don't have one regret in life. Not one. I mean, it's this, this is what life is. This is what it presents you. You know, you make sure you dot your I's and cross your T's. That's it. There's no regrets. I mean, I have lived an absolutely wonderful and blessed life that I never could have imagined. I would imagine we'd be sitting in the house we're sitting in right now. And the things that, that I've been able to do for my family and the things that I've been able to experience. Tell me about the 05 College World Series. Oof. <laughs> well, it was really weird when you're leaving and everybody's like on the side of the road honking and stuff. So I remember doing that when they went and oh, I think my dad and I went to, uh, can't remember. We were or oh two. Yeah. So I think we were sitting in the, uh, it was Best Buy at the time at 48th and oh. And, uh, you know, then everybody's going by and honking. So that was really cool. Um, I think practice, I believe, and there was like 16,000 people. And I'm like, holy cow, like this is crazy. And then they have, everybody lines up. We had to wear our red polos. And I'll never forget, we were sitting in the tent before the game. And Jesse Boyer was playing center field. And he goes, you have to eat the cheesecake. And I'm like, I hate cheesecake. He's like, no, you have to. I'm like, no, I'm not eating cheesecake. And he's like, you have to. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, Shane didn't eat the cheesecake and we've never won. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll eat. Kobe day. Yeah, Shane coming in. I'm like, well, damn, I guess I'll eat the cheesecake. <laughs> so, and then it was, I've never had a piece of cheesecake since. And so I'm like, all right, I'll eat it. So we go out and I'll never forget, that one of the greatest, still to this day, one of the greatest firework displays I've ever seen. It was awesome. I'm you, like, you mean the night before? The night before, yeah. And so I'm like, this is great. And I'm, I mean, you watch it as a kid and you see people on TV flying in for this and you're just like, you never really think it's going to be real. And then it is. And you're like, holy cow, there's like 20 some thousand people here. We were fortunate enough that we have a great fan base here. And you know, we were getting 6,000, 7,000 people. And that, and that was second in the country only to LSU. And so we were like, you know, we're used to like crowds, like we get it. 
But then when there's that many people, it's a whole different ball game. I think I probably threw about three lawn darts that didn't even get 60 feet to Jeff when I first warmed up. <laughs> and so it was, it, I mean, it was crazy just to think, you know, what was happening and, you know, all the pregame stuff. And it was nice because we had done ESPN before. So we kind of had the feel of, you know, how the media is going to work for this, which really really helped because it's nerve-wracking if you don't know what you're doing and so I'm warming up and I'm like man this is on ESPN like everybody watches this like this is it's on in every clubhouse like people are late to the dugout or just because they want to watch something and I'm like holy cow and I was like we haven't we have never won like I want to do like I want to win and I pitched well I hung a slider to Tuffy Ghostwitch and hit a double and they scored twice but other than that, it was, I mean, it was, it was awesome. And then coming back, obviously, we get throttled by Florida. And then come back playing ASU again. Jeff Larish hits three homers. Andy Gurch hits a homer to left. And Colin Curtis actually knocked himself out on the play. And so, you know, we're celebrating, screaming. We're like, there's no way we can lose this game now. And then Larish comes up again and, ends up beating us but you would have pitched the next game. I would have pitched the next game yeah. yeah and you know it was just cool after I won the first game people on the, the signs you know just nice job Jabba like just cool stuff that I'll never forget and you know it, it's something to be said like playing in the World Series in the big leagues is I mean is the pinnacle of where you could get but playing in the World Series in front of your fans in your state is is something indescribable and I, it's it Probably World Series winning is 1A, playing and winning a game in the World Series as a kid born and raised here is got to be 1B. One of the underrated uh, sporting events at Nebraska in the 21st century, I realize that's a small class of <laughs> events, is, is the 05 Super Regional clincher against Miami, uh, or the, just the, the whole Super Regional. You guys beat him 2 nothing. Alex Gordon hits a homer off a foul pole in left field. Correction, it was the light pole in left center field, not the foul pole, the light pole that Alex Gordon hit. And then he gets ejected. First time, and still to this day, <laughs> I have asked Alex a couple times, what did he say? And he still says he didn't say anything. I go, oh, really? So he just ran you for nothing? But that, that whole series, and it started on an eerie note. And we, were, we didn't have an on-site facility. So we were using an offsite cage and just like a little warehouse basically on uh, 17th and Y. So we come in, we're warming up, and then Miami comes in. And you know, and my, everybody hated Miami. And everybody. And I had an opportunity to play with, with Ryan Braun a little bit this spring. And, you know, it was, it was funny. We were talking about it. And, you know, they've got three or four guys that are still playing the big leagues John Jay, Brawny. I think they've got a couple more too. So they come in, and we're, we're literally all doing our work and so they come in and their stuff and blah 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 and they're like these clowns and so he goes up to Mike Anderson our head coach at the time and was like hey it's our time we're like no we're not done yet he's like well this is the time we're supposed to be here so we're all getting our stuff done we were almost done we weren't done yet there was a couple rounds left I think and he brings them up and he goes, all right, guys, we're going to have a little light work here. Um, go win these two games and get ready for Omaha. 
I'm like, we're right here. We can hear you. Braun said that? No. Morris uh, said that. Uh, yeah, Morris said it. Jim Morris. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm like, does this dude, like, because I wasn't doing anything. I was just watching everybody. I'd already done, done my work. And I'm like, does he not realize, like, we're in here? <laughs> like, we're, we're right here. So, and then I was going against Cesar Correa, who had never lost in college. This guy's got his headphones in in the dugout. I'm like, who is this dude? And so right there, we always had a bad taste in our mouth. And we knew our backs were against the wall. Granted, we had played unbelievable that year. And they had played, they had played well as well. And just going into it, I'm like, okay, we're already underdogs. You were not underdogs, Java. You were supposed to win. You could tell yourself you were an underdog, but you were well, okay. But matchup-wise, I was supposed to lose. No, you weren't. This dude has never lost in college. You're pitching at Haymarket Park in front of 7,000 It people. doesn't matter. You're the national seed, not them. I know, but you gotta. this dude has never lost in college. All right. I mean, I was going to give him all I got. But it was going into it, and I just I felt really good that day. It was a gorgeous day and you know going into it and you know I never was one to drink a lot of water like I've played with guys at CC will drink a bottle of water and it's amazing to me David Price the same way I just I never drank water and like so I end up it, my calf locks up in about the fourth <laughs> and I'm like uh oh and so you know I drink a little bit of water get through it um and then I think in the seventh, maybe seventh or eighth, I don't even remember what inning, but I throw a pitch and I land and they both lock up. And I just hit the ground. Like both of my calves are locked up. And so then uh, Dr. Lonnie Albers was in there and he's like trying to give me an IV. And that inning is when Jeff Christie hit the, his first homer of the year to put us up one nothing. And so I'm trying to get an IV in my hand. I'm, you know, I'm sweaty. I'm shaking. And I'm I see he hits it and I stand up. We're in the little tunnel at Haymarket. And Doc's like, we don't have time for this. Just drink some pickle juice or something. I'm like, Doc, give me whatever you need. I'm not coming out of this game. And so then I go back out. They, they're tight, but they don't, they end up not cramping up. My dad's panicking. Like he's crying. Um, and so then get through it. And I think I, I think I went eight innings, punched out twelve guys or something like that. I remember people on the stands holding up K cards and stuff like that. Yeah, and it was I'll never forget walking off the field. There was like three guys above above the dugout going like this and I was like, That's so weird. It was I mean it was really cool. They were bowing. Yeah. And then obviously the next day, you know, we go through it and then Alex gets thrown out in like the second or third <laughs> inning and we're like, What in the world? And we we had clinched before some series had even started. Some hadn't even started yet huh. because we were the first game both days. Okay. So we had already played two games. Some some games were just starting and we were already in. So it was it was very gratifying after what we heard when they first got there. And talking to Brownie about it, I was like, did you guys really think you were going to win? Like, oh, yeah, we knew we were going to win. Like, we knew we were facing you, but we weren't worried about anybody else. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, and they had, they were, I mean, they could hit. Their pitching wasn't great past their first two guys, but it was after the, you know, we got some work here to do, and then we'll just get ready for Omaha. I'm like, dude, seriously? Hey, man, that's why they were Miami. They had that swagger. Um, 
This is your first year home, right? Yeah. Well, you, you, I went to spring training. You went to spring training mm-hmm. in, for Milwaukee mm-hmm. and uh, got released in like late like, March. Yeah, it was like the, there was like four days left or something. Uh, what was that like? It was my decision, really, kind of. Um, I kind of knew what direction they were probably going to go anyways. But it was when my son left and I saw the look on his face. And I was like, I never want to see that again. And that was the moment. And I, I knew it was probably going to happen. It was on a Monday. I only know that because we get meal money on Mondays. And I haven't got my thing yet. So I kind of already started packing a little bit. And they went super young anyways. I mean, they got rid of Neftali too, even though he was struggling. But... And Corey did an unbelievable job. Um, but they went younger. I mean, and I knew that's the direction that they were going because that's what they said initially. So, but yeah, it just, it was literally the look on my son's face to know that. Walking out of where? When he left, when I dropped him off the airport. Because he come, he come for spring training during his spring break. So he had some buddies with him, which made it a little bit easier. But it was just, it was a look I never wanted to see again. And when it was done, I literally, I was like, I'm, I literally came home probably three days later, maybe. And Carter was starting his baseball season, and I showed up, and then he kind of looked at me like I'm weird. He's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm here to watch you play. So he's like, okay, he just surprised me, and he's going to go back. Well, then after about a week, he's like, Dad, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, I'm here. And then about a week later, goes by, and he goes, Dad, you're not going to leave me, are you? And at that point, I knew it was, the, it was the absolute greatest decision I've ever made. Because now he knows he's used to Dad leaving. To have your 11-year-old son ask you that question broke my heart. In a good way. Because now it's like he understands. And he's like, you're not going to leave me again. And I'm like, dude, I'm here. And so that, that was, for me, not like I needed any validation, but... That was the moment that it hit me as a father that this was absolutely the best decision I've ever made in my life. You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. And I've missed my son's entire life. And for me, it wasn't about playing anymore. It was about actually being a father. And now is his first year of junior high. And I just, I understand what it, I mean, my dad missed like three baseball games in my life. And... I knew how important that was. I mean, I saw my son play for the first time this year, baseball. Really? And, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. Like, I saw him hit his first homer. You know, I show up, his first at bat, he hits a homer. And so, I understand that you can get that back, but this, I can't get time back. I can't. I've missed 11 years. And I say miss, and I use that loosely, but when you're gone for seven, eight months, and, you know, the longest time I would spend with him in that aspect is when he would be... Um, on spring break or in the summer, I would you know, it'd be like 10 days or something. But that's the longest you get to spend with him. And it's just, I mean, you know you're doing it for the right reason, but there comes a point as a man where it's not about money. It's not about that. It's, it's about time. It's about just being there and going like, I dropped him off on a movie date with a bunch of people. And it's like, I, if I was gone, I wouldn't be able to experience those things. And I can never get that back. I mean, I missed his first steps. I missed his first words. Obviously, you capture them, but being there and, and understanding the value of what that means, I, I finally get it after 11 years. How are you adjusting to, uh, you know, waking up and not having to work out and not having to go to the ballpark and not having to do this? That's still that? the first thing I do every day. 
What's that? We're out. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, it just, for me, I just, I mean, obviously it's not anything like getting baseball ready, but it's different workouts. I mean, I put a gym in my house for that reason. Just so, you know, whether it's going down and riding for 30 minutes or rowing or running or lifting, whatever it is, it's it's just something that's been ingrained in me. And I, you know, it's, you get out of your body what you put into it. And, you know, if you're just, you know, sitting there doing nothing, I mean, don't get me wrong, I play a lot of golf. Um, so some days that's that's the workout, 18. So, but it's it's different. I mean, it's, you know, it's like I got Carter ready for school and, you know, it's dark out. He doesn't want to get up. I'm like, what is going on here? You know, we leave for the house and it's just starting to get light out. And it's it's so cool because he has such a cool group of friends and they their parents are awesome. And it's different in a really good way. It's like now I get up early and, you know, I text my buddies that are playing and they don't answer me until like 1.30. And I'm like, oh, I know why. You're probably sleeping. So, <laughs> um, yeah. It's, what you, you're 31. What do you want to do over there? I just turned 32. Just turned 32. Mm-hmm. Last week, right? Yep. Uh, what do you want to do over the next decade? Oh, man. Um, really? I, restaurants? I love bars and restaurants. Um, opening one here, hopefully. Um, September 1, it should be open. And then just September kind of, of next year. Oh, next year. Yeah. And then I'll work with my agent in some capacity. Um just because I love, I love the game, but I, I want to see it from a different perspective. Because I've been through some weird negotiations, in arbitration and free agency, and I, you know, I heard the things that were said, and I just feel like there's things that I've been through in my career, on and off the field, that there, there's value in in that aspect towards towards these kids. And so you think you could be like a like an agent? I would be an agent. Yeah, I mean, and it's just. I would lo- I would love the college aspect of it too, and just because I've been through it, I I understand the advisor versus the agent deal. I understand there's just something to be said for somebody that comes to your door, and if you're that guy, he was that guy. There's just something the name of our agency carries weight in itself, which is which is one thing. Wait, you're hooked up with an agency already. Yeah, Excel Sports Management. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, they've been my agent my whole. Well, okay, so I was with I was with Hendricks, and then Jim left to go with Mark and Casey with Excel. So. So you're working for those guys? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. I mean that that is, and I've already talked to Jim about it before. So, but I just feel like if if we're going to represent the best, and we have some of the greatest athletes on the planet. And if it's a college, and if it's around here, whatever they want me to do, I don't care. But it's just the genuineness of being able to sit in front of a family, tell them what we have to offer, and give them some perspective of the things that can and will happen. Because your agent becomes more a part of your family than you will ever understand. And I mean, Jim and I have been through a lot personally and professionally and you just because there's things your family doesn't understand like they don't understand the grind of minor league baseball and to be honest with you I don't either because I never really had to do it and it's just a different perspective and you know that's something I would love to do I mean I don't know if I would necessarily want to do it on like the the big league side it would be fun just because you know friends and what have you but I think just the capacity of being able to connect with not only the athlete, 
with their families. And I just think that's so important because it's such a huge step in, in your kid's life. And I'm, you know, you got 17 year olds trying to go become men and that's tough to do. And even coming out of college, I mean, that's still tough to do when you're, you know, living with your buddies, but now this is job, this is work. This is somebody trying to take food off your table. So I just, I love that dynamic of it. And, you know, like I said, I just feel like from a perspective of just sitting and talk to an agent that can show you a bunch of numbers and who he signed and what they've done for him. Okay, that's all fine and dandy. Every agent can do that. Right. Uh, quick hitters for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to pitch again? No. When's the last time you threw? I probably throw now more than I did when I was playing. What? Yeah. Because you have a son, you're playing football, you're doing all kind of stuff. Baseball season, we'd always play catch. Um, yeah, I mean, do I still think I could? Yeah, without a doubt. When's um, the last time you threw 90 plus? Uh, probably the last time of spring training. Yeah, probably be it. Did you get rings from uh, from you spent you you played with the Royals? I got in ring fifteen. Got a World Series ring there, and you did. Yeah, and got um a division one with the Indians last year. The pennant. Uh huh. What was that like? The, I mean, you know, because you were on the team. It was it was good that the Royals won. I honestly didn't expect. Um, Did it show up in the mail? Like what happened? No, Ned presented it to me. When? Yeah, um, when we played them, the for the first time, at um, it was actually in Cleveland. He brought over the the jersey. And, oh really? Yeah. Because they didn't know. Like I talked to Haas about it, Eric Hosmer, and he was like, "Dude, we didn't even know you weren't coming with us." And Ned didn't tell anybody, and it was like Johnny Gomes wasn't on the roster, and, and you know he stayed, and so I was like, dude, you know what? I've got one, you know. I trust me, I'm cheering you guys on, like. And it was so awesome to see them win, and you know, be be semi part of it, and uh, but yeah, we got a ring, um, all kind of all kind of cool stuff. So the jersey is super sweet. Um, it's What's like, the jersey? Uh, I just I can find it. I think I got it. It was the gold one. Oh my gosh. How cool is that? That was my dad. Where's the Yankee one every day? That is awesome. So they signed it too, huh? Well, I had, I, they brought it over and then I, uh, I had Jeff, um, Jeff and Willie, they're the clubbies on the visiting side for the, um, for the Indians. They, I had them, have them sign it. A Kansas City Royals World Championship ring. Yeah, I was I was excited. Where'd you watch uh where'd you watch that World Series? Um here? Yeah, you know what? I don't even remember where I was at. Yeah. Favorite ballpark? Oof. I get asked this question a lot. You have to break that down. You've <laughs> gotta break it down into three different categories. City, amenities as far as like food, clubhouse. And that's like size, just, I mean, because there's some that are super small. And then actual field. Okay, break it down for me. Actual field, the nostalgia of Fenway. Yeah. Um, I get booed loud there, and I love it. Um, it's one of the worst clubhouses. Um, city, everything, Seattle. Really? Mm-hmm. The foods there is unbelievable. Like I, I love going in the morning and watch them throw the fish at Pikes Peak. 
And just, I love the fact that when they close the roof, it's still open. And it just, I mean, every time I've been there, the weather's been unbelievable. Um, Wait, I don't understand. They close the roof and it's still open. It's, it's open. So it's just the top that's covered. <clears throat> okay. So the sides are still open. Okay. So you don't feel like you're you're closed in on an, in an indoor stadium. Um, amenities. Amenities are great. Seattle as a whole. No, no, no. What's your... Oh, your, amenities. Your third, your third oh, category. Oh, sh- Chicago. Really? Yeah. Toughest, uh, toughest hitter you face. Kendrick Morales. Really? Yes. Him and Adam Lind. At one point, Kendrick Morales was three for four off me with three homers on a slider, a curveball, and a fastball. His <laughs> other hit was a double. Remember when he, he had that unfortunate incident where he blew out? Yeah. And he uh, blew out his on his knee when he was celebrating, celebrating a grand walk-off yeah. and was out like two years. And so he signs with Minnesota, and we're going over the scouting report, and we get to it, and I'm with the Tigers at this time. And Jeff Jones is my pitching coach. And we had kind of chatted back and forth before um, before our meeting. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know why I don't like this guy, but I don't. And he goes, yeah, because he has three homers off. He was like, thanks, Jonesy. And so I'm literally in the meeting. And this is, I go, if I get in this game, I hope and pray that I face him. So, of course, I face him. He strikes out, but it's a pass ball and he gets on base I look over and Jeff Jones is laughing hysterically <laughs> and I'm like and he comes in he goes dude you still can't get him out when you get him out and I'm like you've got to be kidding me and the last two times I've struck him out and then Adam Land I think's hitting like 700 off me I just he's, I just can't get him out it's unbelievable and he's got like 40 some of the bats off me so it's not just a little small sample size were you closer to A-Rod or Jeter? both A-Rod bought my first ever suits still have to this day but Derek and I, it was funny too. He just had his first kid, so I was talking to him, and I was like, "Man, you know, you're gonna be in a walker by the time your kid's out of out of the house." He goes, "He goes, when you're my age, you'll be a grandpa." I'm like, "Hey now, hey now, guy, hey now." But he just—I mean, they're they're two totally different people, but two of the nicest people that I've come across. And you know, Derek, Derek's awesome, and Alex is Alex is Alex, and and I love him for that, and. They just didn't always see eye to eye, huh? They're just two different people. It didn't necessarily, like, you are in the media and I can talk to you. You don't believe everything you guys write, you know, and not to say it was fabricated, but it wasn't to the, I never saw it. And I was with them for seven years. And, but it just, they're just two different people. They just, they couldn't be more different as far as just even in, on and off the field. So, for, I mean, both obviously, very, very successful. And who was the most interesting Yankees character? Mike Mussina. Really? Why? Yeah. It was he's a kid from Pennsylvania. He loves tractors. He and he's super smart. Went to Stanford. He does his crosswords with a pin. And it was just I was the annoying kid. He was he's probably one of my most gratifying relationships. And he drank Mountain Dew and had a Snickers for breakfast. That's just who he was. He had weightlifting gloves like an old man. It was great. And he was he was scuffling in 07. He couldn't get anybody out. And here, I, you know, I was and just bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. And then 2008, kind of the same way. And I'll never forget, he came to the bullpen. And I would always be like, Moose, what are you looking at? And he'd always be looking at a tractor. He's got a huge compound in Pennsylvania. And he's got probably a hundred cars, tractors, all kinds of cool stuff. And 
he's literally, and I would just bug him and just annoy him all the time. And then he comes down to the bullpen when he, you know, he couldn't get anybody out. He's having a tough year and just, uh, and he comes, he has his cleats and gives me a big hug. And he's like, thanks. I'm like, for what? He's like, for bugging me. And I'm like, oh, you're welcome. And it's just so just, I mean, he was such an introvert, but to see, not like I was bugging him in a, in a bad way. It was just, that's who I am. Like, hey, what are you doing? Like, I don't own any tractors, but what do you look for? And you're just asking dumb questions. Do you have a Steinbrenner story? Yeah, a lot. Um, <laughs> there was one spring training when everybody thought he was going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And I was doing something upstairs. My dad was in town and he was in his wheelchair and... He was always wearing his glasses. And and I'd met him a couple times before. Your dad was in his wheelchair? Or no, George, George was. Yeah, George was and my dad, obviously, is always in his wheelchair. Right. Um, so we're up there doing something, and they come through. Or they're like, hey, do you want to go see George? And I was like, oh, I'd love to. My dad was like, yeah. And so we go in, and I was like, Mr. Steinbrenner, how are you, sir? And then they're like, hey, do you know who that is? He goes, yeah, I knew the hell that is. It's Harlan. It's Jabba's dad. And so it was like, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Um, because everybody thought he was going crazy. And he's like, yeah, no, I know who that is. So, yeah, it was, it was cool. <laughs> it was funny because he, he kind of looked at him and, and it was like, whoa. And then he said it and I was like, wow, he does. But, yeah, that's, that's probably one of my cooler ones with him. You were at, you were at a time with the Yankees where uh... – you kind of had it both ways, right? I mean, you were there at the absolute peak, and then you were kind of there when they were scuffling a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was weird. Like, you got to see both sides of it. Yeah, and you got to see... The coolest thing that I think I've actually got is to see the new stadium be built. Like, I was our representative for the groundbreaking. I had the shovel when we broke ground at the new Yankee Stadium. I have the last ever strikeout in the stadium. And so that's just something. You do? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Aubrey Huff. We played the Orioles. How cool is that? So, and it was so being able to see both of them, and then obviously first year winning a World Series in a new stadium. I remember, you know, just things that Ichiro coming over. Like we were in Seattle, he just switched locker rooms. Um, <laughs> you know, just playing that. That was probably another cool thing that. I'm really I'm so thankful I got to experience was was those guys like um, Hideki Matsui and Ichiro and Hiroki Kuroda and just like you think like people are like superstars here that doesn't even hold a flagstick to these men that come over from Japan and do what they do it's unbelievable I played with Chin Ming Wong who's my catch partner and who's the first ever Taiwanese baseball player and was in Time Magazine as like top 30 most influential people in the world. I mean, he literally had his face on planes and I mean, it was a joke. We were coming into the airport one time and there's like four cars behind us and a bunch of a bunch of Taiwanese people come in and they're holding signs. It was it was nuts. It was absolutely chaos. I remember, I remember being in a 2014 World Series. I was covering it in Kansas City. Nori Aoki is mm-hmm. the Royals right fielder. You know, he wasn't even, he was like a platoon guy. He didn't even start every game. There were like probably one third of the World Series media contingent is Japanese. Oh, it's unbelievable. Because of Nori Aoki. Yeah. It was the weirdest thing. It's just their, their culture is unbelievable. I would go to Japan and play just for the experience. Just because, like, 
And I, I know a bunch of guys that have gone on in there and they say it's unbelievable. Like, and it's just, it's such a different game over there and such a different culture. But just to see like Hideki and all those guys and how they go about their daily routine, Ichiro is probably one of my favorite human beings in the entire planet. Dude's 5,500 years old, whoever knows how old he is. He said he wants to play till he's 50, which if you told me anybody else said that, I'd be like, you're full of you-know-what. This dude, I mean, never been on the DL, still goes out and does it. He's halfway to first base when he makes contact it's with un- ball. It's unbelievable. He was one person I didn't <laughs> like facing, but I would always ask him. I'm like, I never see him eat real food. It's, uh, he eats plum balls that his wife makes in this Japanese tea or something. I've never seen him, other than like a banana, I've never seen the dude eat real food. It's crazy. And I'll always ask him when he gets to the field, like, what'd you have? He'll either say like McDonald's, he gets three cheeseburger, no pickles, medium fry, and a Coke. <laughs> We're in Chicago. I'm like, each, where'd you go eat? Oh, I got pizza. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you're in Chicago. You, you know, you probably Gino's, your delis. Lou Malnati's, like, where he, California Pizza Kitchen. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, each? And he would always, he would always eat after the game, like sushi or whatever, but just, I mean, stretch, he would lint roll in front of his locker, like, so he put his towel down and stretch. I mean, always doing something. And I always played right field with him. And so he would come over, he'd do his fly balls, we would sit there and talk, and his English is great. If it's just like this conversation, when there's a lot of stuff going on, he always has Alan, his interpreter, who coincidentally is Korean, um, and would be our bullpen catcher sometimes too. And so, and just the way he, the way he goes about it, he takes three days off a year. That's it. That's it. It's. I mean, he's absolutely one of the greatest humans ever, and he's so funny. Like he's sneaky, super, super funny. And it's it was so fun to play right field with him because there would be there would be a bunch of Japanese people over there with signs and each or whatever, and I'd be like, each, who's right here. And then he would like wave and say some smart comment that I can't say on this podcast. But <laughs> um and it was just like it was just so cool to see the influence that they have. And it's it was awesome to see. And Hiroki just retired. He went back to Japan and pitched and I watched a video of him retiring and, and sent him a message and so you know, seeing those guys do the things that they've done has been really, really cool. You, you're a pretty kind of a live wire personality. Uh, keep it light, all these things. How did you handle the grind of 162 games? Like, you know, some guys, you know, they have to be real, like, steady, even keel. You don't strike me as steady, even keel. No. Um, the only time that you'd really ever get... It, it, it was cyclical. Like... Okay, by the time spring training came around, you're like, dude, I need to get out of the house. I'm ready to get back to it. Because, you know, you've started ramping up your workouts. You've started throwing your bullpen. So you're like, all right, it's time to go. And then it's like, okay, is spring training over yet? Like, I'm tired of being in one spot. And then it's like, boom, okay, here we go. Now, first month, you're like, ah, oh, nice, a hotel room, which most of the everybody's like, what? And you're like, yeah, something different, different city. And it's, the cool thing about it is you go to these cities enough and you play long enough, you start to have relationships with the doorman and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, you ask how their families are and they ask how your kids are and they see your kids every once in a while. And so, and then it's like, okay, boom. All right, first half is over. Like, wow, where did it go? And then it's like, okay, here we go, August. You're like, all right, I'm about tired of traveling. I don't really want to go on a three-city three road trip. 
Then it gets to September and you're like, uncle, shoot me. You're like, okay, now the locker room's crowded. Um, and if you're and if you're not in it, which I've been fortunate enough that 95% of my career, I was always in it in September. And you're just like, dude, is it over yet? Like, get me off the plane. And then like the middle of September to the end of September, you're like, all right, you were in the playoffs, boom. Then it starts to ramp up again. Then you're like, all right, here comes here comes the playoffs. This is what we worked for. And then the playoffs, you're like, okay, okay. And then once you get to the World Series, I, I've never had an out. I, everybody talks about out-of-body experiences. I'm like, no. Game six, I'm literally on the line playing catch. And like my world stopped. And I, I never thought I would even come to this point ever. But I had an out-of-body experience for the first time ever in my life. Literally, that was when the uh, World Baseball Classic. So we had to report 10 days earlier to spring training. So I was, I've been gone since January 30th. It's November 3rd. And so, and I've had 32 starts. I've pitched like seven games. And game six, my, I literally was staring at myself. And, they, and literally, myself said to myself, as weird as that is to say, I'm giving you one more day and I'm shutting down. Mm -hmm. Last thing, can you imagine playing for a horrible team and being out of it in August? Like, no, because I mean, I got the opportunity to play with Tory Hunter, and is probably one of the top three teammates I've ever had. And guys like Moose, and guys that have great careers, but don't get a chance to do what we all want to do, and that's win a World Series. And for me. It was always, I always went to the team and did I have different choices? Yeah, but it was always, are we, and I would always ask the managers when I would get a call during free agency and I'd be like, I don't play to plan my vacation October 1. I go, I want to win this thing and, and I just, you know, just try to fill people out and, and know what they're trying to do and to see the direction that they want to head. And I don't, I don't, because I don't play, I didn't play for the money. I didn't play for any accolades. I played to, at the end of the day, be the last person standing and put myself in the position to where we could do that. And, you know, obviously when you get drafted, you can't pick that. So you kind of just, you play the hand you're dealt. But it was, I, I, I couldn't sit there and be like, you know, call Carter or call my family and be like, hey, uh, meet me here October 1st. The season will be over. And it's, you know, it's August 15th. You're like, I, that would be that would be hard because as sad as it is to say we're human beings, you end up start playing for yourself, and in in a sense it becomes a selfish game towards you, and it's you know and it's like Jay Bruce, it you know he got an opportunity to go to a good team, you know the guys played for the Reds they stink, Joey Votto the same way, it's like yeah you're gonna make hundreds of million dollars but. That goes away. You don't play a meaningful game after August 1st. I mean, it's it literally, like, your money, you can't be buried with it. Right. These don't, the, the, those last forever. The rings. And it's not, it's not even necessarily the rings. It's the, it's the memories. Right. It's, the, it's the craziness. Yeah. Driving the train into Philly and having 12-year-old kids flip you off. Like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> like, you don't get to experience stuff like that. Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. You can access our library of episodes at omaha.com slash podcasts or at your favorite podcast app. Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. 
If you have feedback, please write me an email at Dirk period chattling at owh.com. See you next week.